of her father. And she always asked me, says, so Jürgen, explain me, what exactly is it, what you are doing there in Israel? And every time we came back to Germany, I had to explain it from a new side. And maybe that's part why also all those reasons developed to explain why is it important for the church to stand with Israel. And of course, there are, there are callings to the church that is that are very central and important. And that includes, of course, sharing the gospel with a, with a lost world. But at the same time, there is something about the Jewish people that is important for us to understand. Just to recapitulate from uh, last week, we saw number one that uh, the first reason we said why we should bless Israel is that God loves the Jewish people. God loves Israel. We started with Jeremiah chapter 31, and, um, and this was where the Lord says, I have loved them with an everlasting love. Secondly, uh, we, we saw that God is a covenant-keeping God. We saw how God cut a covenant with Abraham when he was calling him, and that this was an everlasting covenant, and that if God would break that covenant, it would basically mean a breach of his character as a covenant-keeping God. And that we saw that this also gives assurance to our lives that we know because he's faithful to Israel, he also will be faithful to us. Uh, the third reason was, and we saw this from Ezekiel chapter 36, is that the Lord says, I'm going to sanctify my name by restoring the Jewish people. The whole world will see that there is a God who keeps his promises and who keeps, keeps his covenant. And then the fourth reason we saw was that we have seen that there is a future blessing to be released by a restored Israel. And we use there in particular Romans chapter 11, verse 12 and 13, where Paul said, if they're being cast away, is the reconciliation of the world. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And uh, we have seen that the salvation and the full restoration of Israel will usher a tremendous time of refreshing and blessing to the whole world. So the reasons that we speak today, and I'm most likely we will be able only to go to three reasons, because when I speak about those reasons, I have to uh, start a little bit, take a few steps back and give you a little bit an introduction on uh, the basic calling of the Jewish people. And I believe in this basic calling in a way, I, I thought even today as I prepared for that, maybe this should have been the session where I started the whole webinar with, but this basic calling of Israel, it's the foundation of everything that we were speaking about last week, this week, and even next week. And in order to understand the basic calling of Israel, why God chose the Jewish people, what is so special about the Jews, why do we need really need to bless them, and why, why is it important for them to give them special attention, we need to go to the book of Genesis, Ch Genesis chapter 12, and this is the very calling of Abraham, and you can say with it, it also is the calling of the Jewish people. In Genesis chapter 12, we read, Now the Lord said to Abraham, this was in Ur in Chaldea, you remember when he was with his father Terach, um, he was already starting a slow move up from Urin Chaldea, and he moved over through Haran, and that's where God spoke to him, he says, um, now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house 
to the land that I will show you. And I will make your name great. And I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will and I will dishonor those who those who dishonor you. I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that's quite an amazing promise. You know, there were no Jewish people at that time. There were no Bible schools at that time. There was no Bible at that time. This was a time when the whole world was a very Gentile world. Many of them were following different idols. Some of the Jewish sages even said that Abraham's father and grandfathers were idol makers. That means they had a little workshop in their house where they produced those little idols that other people were uh, uh, worshiping and praying to later on. And in this context, the Lord called Abraham and he gave this, gave this incredible promise. He says, I will make you a great nation. You know, this is quite a promise if, for any one of us, if the Lord would tell us that. And then secondly, he says, I'm going to bless you and your name will be made great. And I think there is hardly any nation in the world where people have uh, never heard of Abraham. Abraham has become indeed a person that is known around the world. I will... He says, you shall be a blessing. And then he says something very interesting. He says, I'm going to put a very protect, special protection mechanism around your life. And it was very simple how this protection mechanism was working. People who blessed Abraham, people who were nice to Abraham, people who showed favor to Abraham, they suddenly found out that things in their lives turned out better. Somehow they seem to be under this mysterious cloud of blessing. At the other side, there were people who were against Abraham, who made his life difficult, who talked bad about him. And suddenly they realized that something went really wrong in their lives. Their children might have got sick. Suddenly people started to uh, rob from them. There might have been burglaries in their house. I don't know. But we read it in the, in the book of Genesis that Melchizedek, said, uh, not Melchizedek, Abimelech, one of the kings of the region, he came eventually to Abraham. He says, I want to make a covenant with you because I have found out that when I bless you, I am blessed. And when I go against you, I am also cursed. And he says, can't we be friends for a lifetime? Because I just realized this is the best thing for me to do. So God put this a protection around him that people realize if I'm touching Abraham, it is not just a normal person, but it determines blessing or curse in my own life. Now, the big question that we have to ask for today, and this leads us later on into the reason why we should support Israel, says, why in the world did God do this to Abraham? Why did he choose this man from Ur in Chaldea, a man whose parents were making idols? Why was the reason that God says, I'm going to bless you like nobody else on this planet? And the answer of that question we find right here in Genesis chapter 12, 3, and it is so important for us to understand that. God says, I am doing that because there is a purpose upon you and upon your people. He says, I'm going to bless you. I give you a great name, etc. Why? Because in you all the families of the world shall be blessed. 
In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And we see here immediately that the calling of the Jewish people wasn't the calling where God says, well, I chose you because you are smarter than other people. You are more powerful than other people. Or maybe because I like you more than other people. Yes, of course, the Lord, we saw it last week, the Lord loves Israel. But that was not the reason why he gave them the calling. But the calling of Abraham was that God says, I want you to be a blessing for every family on the planet, on the face of this earth. And there is a very important passage that we need to read in that context. And if you have your Bible with you, I really want you to open that and read that with me. And this is from Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, the epistle of Paul to the church in Galatia. And there in verse 3, verse 8, we read the following. Galatians chapter 3, and I'm actually reading already uh, verse 7, which is a wonderful context. Now then, that it is those of, uh, those of the faith who are the sons of Abraham. He already connects us who are of faith with the person of Abraham. And then he said the following, and listen very carefully. And I, I ask you, if you highlight your Bible, please highlight, highlight this verse in your Bible. It's a very important verse, he says. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Now, did you ever think about that, that God ever preached the gospel to Abraham? You might think, well, the gospel starts in the Bible with the book of Matthew. Uh, on that page, you know, there's usually a blank page between the Old and the New covenant and the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, the, and the right there where this blank page is, you might say, that's where the good news of Jesus starts. Here, Paul says, he says, the scripture was already proclaiming to Abraham the gospel, the saving good news of Yeshua, of our Savior. And how did he do that? The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. In you shall all the nations be blessed. This is exactly the verse that I was reading you from Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where God told Abraham, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And what Paul is telling us, that this already was the foreknowledge of God, that through the Jewish people, one day the saving gospel of Yeshua, of Jesus Christ, would be spread all over the world. That's why you can say, when God called Abraham, when God called the Jewish people back then in Ur and Chaldea, when he placed that calling upon Abraham, he actually thought about Brazil, he thought about China, he thought about Germany, about Mexico, about all the nations of the world. And he was thinking, how can we bring our love? How can we, can we bring the saving knowledge of a Messiah to the nations? And God says, I have the answer. We are calling Abraham, we are calling the Jewish people, and they will get the job done. And now with today, what we are going to do, we, we are going to look how God in a very practical way 
uh, use the Jewish people to bring that salvation to the nations because there is a calling upon the Jewish people that is different from any other nation of the world. There is a calling upon Israel that is different than the calling on China, that is calling different than the calling that is on the American people, different than the calling that is on Brazil. It is different to the calling to any other nations, and we will see that today. The first calling that God placed upon the Jewish people, we see this in Romans chapter 3, verse 1. And again, I encourage you to have a notebook, like Barry said, beside you, and please take down those scriptures and make notes, and at your uh, free time, please study them uh, uh, yourself. In Romans chapter 3, we do read the first calling of the Jewish people. And Paul starts this chapter uh, with this question that we are talking about today, where he says, so what then is the advantage of the Jew? He says, is there any value of circumcision? That means, why are the Jewish people so special? And we will see later on that this answers us the question why we should bless Israel. But what is so special about the Jewish people, Paul is asking. And just to put this question in context, you know, Paul makes in the chapter before this uh, powerful statement, he says, you know, everybody is a sinner, whether Jew or Gentiles, they all have fallen short of the glory of God. And he, and he, and he, and he even makes this almost uh, for a Jewish ear, very difficult statement. He says, not he is a Jew who is it merely outwardly, but the one who is it inwardly in the circumcision of his heart. And he realized people are asking now the question, so Paul, if this is really like what you said, what then is so special with the Jewish people? And he answers it here in verse 2, and he says, much in every way. To begin with, he says, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What Paul is telling us here is that the first reason that God placed upon the Jewish people was to give us the word of God. It's important to remember and to remind ourselves that Every single book of this book, the Bible, all the books that you can find in the between the pages of this Bible, every single book was written by a Jewish author. Now, I might say there are some of you who may, might have studied a little bit theology. You might have said, well, wait a second, Jürgen. I was taught in Sunday school or in college that Luke was not a Jewish person, that he was a Gentile doctor. But let me tell you, living in the land of Israel and studying a little bit Jewish culture and Jewish behavior, I came to the conclusion, and this is confirmed by many of the Messianic pastors here in the, in the land, that the Gospel of Luke is actually the most Jewish one of all of them. And you might not see it so massively like in Matthew, who always have to quote the Old Testament to prove that this is already foretold in Old Testament scripture. He rarely or much less often quotes the Old Testament, but there are sometimes little comments in, in Luke that you will see that this man must have been a Jewish person because a Gentile at the time would have never known that. And it starts at the very first pages, and let me just give you there an example. The very first pages of the book of Luke, um, 
Yeah, you will you will see that uh, in chapter one, when uh, Zechariah is being called the the father of John the Baptist, it starts here that there was a man called Zechariah, and the first thing that we hear about him that he was of the division of Abiyah. Now, to be very honest, I guarantee you probably that any message that you hear around the world about John the Baptist of his father. No preacher who would come from a Gentile background would make a big point about that to make sure that you understand what that he was from the division of Abiyah. And honestly, most people even wouldn't know what the order of Abiyah is. It's, it needed a Jewish mind that understands that at the time of Jesus, and this you can find in the second book of Chronicles, there were 24 orders of priesthood, and one of them was the order of Abiyah, and they were appointed at a very specific time to service in the temple. And then it says here that he was a man who was out praying, praying outside at the hour of incense. The people were praying outside at the uh, hour of incense, and he was chosen by Lot to enter into the temple to burn incense. And there is a lot of information there. The Talmud goes at great length how priests have been selected in order to go into the temple to bring this incense offering uh, before the Lord. Actually, Jewish tradition tells us because there were so many priests, uh, more priests than they would have uh, needed for the daily offering. They had to draw lots in order to make sure that there would be no priest which would come in double. And in order that it will not be unfair, why did they not choose me? They were choosing by drawing lots in order that uh, to choose the priest. And apparently Zechariah, we read he was at, at old age, he never was in the temple, he never could offer incense. And one day the Lot came to him. And also this is information that you don't get from the Bible. You get this from the Talmud or from Jewish scriptures. And then it says here when he was in the temple that he saw at the right side of the altar suddenly an angel appearing to you. And also here the Talmud tells us that if in the temple the Shekinah glory, the supernatural manifestation of the Lord would appear, it would be at the right side of the altar. So just in those short passages, you see that without making a big fuss about it, between the lines, you can see Luke was immersed in Jewish culture probably more than any other writer of the New Testament. So every writer of the New Testament was Jewish. And if this doesn't convince you yet, you read it in Psalm 147. If you go to your Bible in Psalm 147, there you find a very important passage where it says, uh, Psalm 147, verse 19 and verse 20, he says, he declares his word to Jacob and his statutes and his rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt us with any other nation. There is no other nation that was com commanded and committed and commissioned by God than the Jewish people to write the word of God. It is right. The Germans might have translated it by through Martin Luther. The Chinese have translated it. Uh, the English have translated it. First under King James, there were other 
other attempts under Tyndale and others and, and, um, and other Bible translators and reformers, but only one people was bestowed by the Lord by writing the word of God, and that was the, the Jewish people. You could say, Malcolm Heading always liked to refer to the Jewish people. He says they are God's private secretary. That means if God wanted to communicate a message to mankind, he called a Jewish person to his office. He says, Isaiah, sit down and write down, I have a message for the world. Jeremiah, sit down, I have a message for the world. World. That's why Jeremiah chapter 36, we read, the Lord always in, intentionally instructed the prophets, please write down what I'm telling you. And Jeremiah chapter 36, verses 1, the entire chapter is in particular interesting, because here the prophet writes down a message of repentance to Israel, and he sends it to the king. The king hears it, and his anger, he burns that scroll, and he destroys it. And his servant comes back and he says, uh, sir, I'm so sorry, but the king just destroyed, burned the scroll. And maybe Jeremiah was disappointed and thought, what a pity. This was a fantastic message. What a pity that it is burned right now. And he might have been already on the way out of his office. And the Lord called him back. And he says in chapter 31, verse, chapter 36, verse 21, he says, sit down, write it again. Why should he write it again? Because this message of repentance was not just for the king of Israel, but it was also a universal message for the people who are living in Africa, in Asia, in Europe, for the whole world. The Jewish people were entrusted with the word of God and received it from them. The second reason why, why God called the Jewish people and how he brought this blessing to the first to the world was number one, we saw the word of God. And number two, the Jewish people gave us the person who is called by John the Apostle. He was the world that became flesh. He was the Messiah, the Son of God who came to this world. In Romans chapter 9, verse 5, Paul makes it very clear that Jesus Christ was, according to the flesh, a descendant of the Jewish people. He was an Israelite. He was fully Jewish because he had a Jewish mother. And we need to understand one thing, that the Messiah from the very beginning, from the onset, when even God prophesied about the Messiah, it was never be to be a, just a Messiah for the Jewish people, but it was always a Messiah that had a universal calling. And that's why John chapter 1, verse 29, we read, when John the Baptist saw Jesus approaching from a distance, he called out, he says, Behold, here comes the Lamb of God that carries away the sin of the world. Note that he said, he did not say, he says, here is the Lamb of God that carries away the sin of Israel or our people. But he says, no, this Messiah that is coming, he will be a universal Savior that will take away the sins of the entire world. He has a calling for every tribe, every language, every nation that is here living on this world. That's why Isaiah chapter 42, and I would like you to open your Bibles with me if you can, and if you're not driving your cars right now, if you are listening to that out of your car, please don't touch your phone. It's too dangerous. 
But if you are at home like me in your office, I'm actually right now in my pump shelter that uh, served us very well during the time of the rocket attacks from uh, from Gaza. We actually had to run here to, in, into this very room uh, with our family. But uh, that's where I'm coming to you right now. Isaiah chapter 42, the prophet says, and he prophesies about the servant of the Lord, the coming Messiah. He says, behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. That means the prophets already understood from the very beginning that this Messiah that would be coming was not just a Messiah for the Jewish people, but uh, like this calling of Abraham already indicates, he will be the one in whom all the nations, all the families of the world shall be blessed. Another powerful passage, and this is quite an amazing verse. I wish we would have more time so I can uh, expound a little bit more on the context. But this is again a prophecy of the servant of the Lord. And there is even, if you start reading from verse through 3, a dialogue between the servant of the Lord and God himself. Um, the Lord, is, that's how it starts here in verse 3. The Lord God, he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And then the servant of the Lord replies to the Lord, he says, but I have said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense, recompense with my God. And if I read this passage and if we think about Yeshua, about Jesus, the Savior of his people, you, you can see him at the end of his ministry when he was standing there. The whole people was shouting, crucify him. And even later on in the apostolic time, only a remnant accepted the message of the Messiah. The majority of the people was not following his message. And he knew God one day would save the Jewish people. You could hear him say, he says, maybe I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing. And then the Lord replies to him, and look, listen to that, it's so beautiful. Now the Lord says, and he explains who that Lord is, he says, it's the one who called me, the one who formed me from the womb to be his servant. Why? To bring Jacob back to him, Israel, that they might be gathered back to him. He affirms the calling of the Messiah to the Jewish people. And in verse 6, it says, but he says to me, the Lord speaks to me, to the servant of the Lord, it is a too light thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved ones of Israel. I will make you also a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. It's a very powerful and beautiful dialogue that is taking place in a prophetic way between the servant of the Lord and the Lord himself. Well, he says, I don't seem to be so successful with my people. What is happening? And the Lord explains it to him so beautiful. He says, there will come a, die, a time when you will be successful with your people. The one day all Israel shall be saved. But he says, it's too little just to save the people of Israel. I have also made you a light for the nation. I have called you also that my salvation shall reach the ends of the earth. And that's why when 
when God called Abraham, you can see that God was thinking about the salvation of human mankind when he chose the Jewish people. They gave the word of God to the world, and they also gave the saving Messiah to the nations. And one more verse in, in that direction, Isaiah chapter 56, where it says, The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel gather, says, I will gather yet others to him besides those who are already gathered. And when I was reading that, it reminded me on the passage in John chapter 10, verse 16, where, it, where Jesus himself said, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this flock. And he was referring to the Gentile nations. So we see there is a powerful calling on the Jewish people to give the word of God in a universal way to human mankind. Secondly, to give a savior, a redeemer to mankind that would deliver the world from their sins. And then there is a third reason or a third uh, calling upon the Jewish people, and that is unfolding in the early church. And here I would like to read you also a passage in, chapter, in Isaiah chapter 66. If you go to the very end of the book uh, that we are just reading for from, and he speaks, it's, uh, it's, if you read it in the context, it speaks about a future time, but I do believe we see its fulfillment even in the time of the apostolic age when the early church was being uh, established and, <clears throat> excuse me, and formed in Jerusalem. Isaiah chapter 66, for I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all the nations and tongues. Now he speaks not just about the Jewish people, but also about all the goyim, all the nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. And I will set a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors to the nations. That means the remnant, I will send them to the nations, to Tarshish, Put, to Lut, and to draw the boat to Tubal and Yavan, to the coastlands far away uh, that have not heard my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations." And uh, while this prophecy in the context might be fulfilled only in the in the in a future age, we we do see that this is exactly what was taking place in the time of the early apostles. We need to remind us that the early church that was gathering in Jerusalem was a purely one hundred percent Jewish church. There were no Gentiles among them. And uh, we need to remember that the Lord even focused the very early church, the early believers, to Jerusalem. Now, he did not tell them, he says, now Jerusalem is not important anymore. I'm going to give you my spirit, and then uh, wherever you are, my presence will be with you. So it doesn't matter where you are. Jesus was very deliberate and very clear. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he, said, he told his disciples, he uh, instructed them very precisely, very precisely, he says, do not depart from Jerusalem until you will be filled with my Holy Spirit.
That means Jerusalem was the place where God says, I'm going to start something new, and it will not take place anywhere else but here in Jerusalem. And we need to understand that there was even for the early church a calling upon the city of Jerusalem that was unique. God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit just there. And we know Acts chapter 2, this was being fulfilled. The spirit was filling with a mighty rushing wind that housed the upper room where the apostles were gathered. And uh, out of this uh, little room, this little gathering of 120 apostles, first of all, they grew tremendously in Jerusalem. Some say up to 20,000 people will be Messianic believers in the city of Jerusalem at the time of the early apostles. But out of that city of Jerusalem, a wave of evangelism, a wave of missionaries was reaching out to the whole world, and they were bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nation. We read this for the first time in the book of Acts chapter 8, where we see now those who were scattered went out preaching the world, and Philip even went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Samaritans, the Christ, and crowds with one accord paid attention to what was said from, from Philip, and uh, they saw the signs that he did. That means Philip was one of the first who take, took the gospel out of a Jewish context to the Samaritans, and God manifested himself with signs and wonders. In chapter 10, we read how God called Cornelius. He says, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom, even to open the gates to the Gentile nations. And he went to the centurion and Caesarea and preached him the gospel. And he saw the Holy Spirit was falling upon them, like on the early church in Acts chapter 2 and chapter 11, They say, it says, and then the, they saw that the Gentiles also were granted repentance that leads to life. And then in chapter 11, verse 19, we read, And those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia to Cyprus, to Antioch, and they spoke the word of God. Now listen, to no one except the Jews. They spread geographically the gospel, but it was still a gospel that was spread only to the Jews. And then later Paul called Apostle Paul, where God says, he will be my chosen vessel, the apostle to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. And the Lord released him together with Barnabas in chapter 13 to go to the nations. And if you read church history, and it is quite impressive, you see that all the apostles, they went to the nations. They didn't die in Israel. Every single apostle, except of one of them, was martyred outside of Israel and died a violent death because he was spreading the gospel even to the ends of the earth. We read from Matthew that he went as far as Persia, which is Iran today. We read about, um, about Mark that he went to Egypt and started churches in Egypt. He became the apostle of Egypt. Others went all the way. Paul, it's reported as far as Spain. And I was so touched when I was in India two years ago to see uh, the tomb where Apostle Thomas was being laid down. And church history tells us that he was establishing hundreds of churches in India and tens of thousands of Indian people 
came to a saving knowledge of Jesus. The very first church was Jewish, and it was Jewish apostles that spread a Jewish gospel from a Jewish book, the Bible, about a Jewish Messiah to the nations. And that's why we are even gathered today on the Zoom call, that this gospel reached our countries where we are, and we came into a living relationship with the God of heaven, the God of Israel. He is also the God of America. He's today also the God of Africa and the God of China and Asia and Thailand and uh, Vietnam and wherever you might be listening to us, Argentina today. And this brings me now to the reasons why we should bless Israel. I hope you understand the tremendous calling that God placed upon Israel. They actually were the ones who gave us everything that brings us into a living relationship with Jesus and with the Father in heaven. They gave us the word of God. They gave us their Messiah. He became our Savior. And that's why Paul, in the book of Romans, he uh, reminds the church, and this is a very powerful uh, passage in Romans chapter 15, verse 28. And this, again, a passage, if you would like to highlight that in your Bible, this is Paul writing to the church in Rome, and he gives a missions report in verse 26 and, uh, and the following. Uh, verse 25, I start reading already. Romans chapter 15, verse 25. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution to the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do so. Now listen very carefully. They were pleased to make a contribution to the saints who are in Jerusalem. And indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be serving them in material blessings. It's a powerful statement. The first point, the first reason, I, I know it took quite an introduction until I came to the first point. The first reason why we should bless the Jewish people is because the Jewish people blessed us and we owe blessing to them in return. Remember, they gave us the word of God. Remember, they gave us their Messiah. Remember, they were the ones who shared the gospel all around the world. And the Macedonian Christians understood it. They realized we received spiritual blessings from the Jewish people. And now it is our duty and our task to return that blessing to them and to bless the Jewish people. And he makes it very clear. He says, they gave us a spiritual blessing. And now it's about time that we return this in thankfulness, in material blessing. And what we read here, Paul was returning back to Jerusalem in order to personally hand over that thank you gift of the Macedonian church to the Jewish people. And I want, to want you to think about your own life. You know, you heard today how the Jewish people have blessed you. You might say, well, I never met a Jew. I don't know. I don't owe anything to Jewish people. But remember, they gave the word of God, the Bible that you are reading, hopefully every day. This was written by Jewish people. God gave them that calling. 
the Messiah that redeemed you from your sins, that for washed away your sins and made put you part of the family of God, he was a Jewish redeemer. Our foundation of our congregation, it's not the Vatican, it's not also Brownsville, or it's also not Wittenberg or Geneva. The foundations of our faith, they lay in Jerusalem. That's where the early church starts. And I want to suggest to you very strongly, like Paul says about the Macedonians, we are debtors to the church, and it's about time that the church around the world recognizes that debt and that the church arises and he says, we want to pay back this immeasurable debt that we have to the Jewish people. They gave us the word of God. They gave us everything that we needed in order to have salvation, eternal life, and we want to bless them in return. And brothers and sisters, this, this is why the Christian embassy exists right there in Jerusalem, to be this extended arm of the global church, to set, tell the Jewish people, we love Love you. We stand with you. We want to thank you for all the blessing that you have given to us. And uh, and this is even you know we have uh, many opportunities to share that. Even Barry and I, we yesterday we were sharing and we, we were talking to one of the leading rabbis of Israel yesterday. And God is opening so many marvelous doors for us. And, uh, and that's why we want to be your embassy also here in Jerusalem, to extend your thanks, your appreciation to the Jewish people, recognizing this calling that God placed upon Israel, that uh, they should bring blessing, salvation to all the families of the earth. So we, it's time for us to say thank you to the church. We owe it to them. The church in Macedonia recognized it that... Uh, uh, there is a unique calling on the Jewish people, like John, we quoted that already last week. John said in John chapter 4, Jesus said in John chapter 4, 21, salvation is of the Jews. Now, I want to note you also that Jesus did not say in John chapter 4, 22, that we need to be Jewish to be saved. He did not say that, absolutely not. But he says salvation came to us by the way of the Jewish people. And that's why the Macedonian church, they said, thank you. And they made a contribution for the saints in Jerusalem. Secondly, we need to understand, and I believe it became clear by what I said, that our very roots, the roots of our faith, they are laying in Jerusalem. They are laying with the Jewish people. And this is a passage that you probably all know by heart. In Romans chapter 11, where Paul speaks about the very roots of our faith. Romans chapter 11, and I want to read to you uh, verses 18 and uh, the following. I start reading from verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Now, what did I read it again to you? You have been broken off, although being a wild olive shoot, you were grafted in among the others, and now you share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. What I, what I shared with you just a few moments ago, the word of God, the Messiah, the roots of the church in Jerusalem, this is this rich sap that is flowing through this olive tree of Israel, where we have been crafted on as believers, as church. 
And now he says the following, he says, do not be arrogant towards the branches that will cut off. That means the Jewish people who do not recognize yet their Messiah. Don't be arrogant towards them. If you are, remember that it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Why should we bless Israel? Because by blessing Israel, we are supporting and we are nourishing our own very roots. Now, if you understand a little bit of agriculture, or if, if you are uh, having trees in your, in, 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 in your garden, uh, you understand the importance of roots. That's the place where the sap is being uh, gathered and, and it's entering into the stem and into all the branches. And the sap that is feeding us as the church, it's a sap that is coming here from this land, a sap that is coming from the Jewish people. And the Bible says we need to recognize, we need to honor those roots. We should not be arrogant against them, but we should be humble and we need to recognize that it's them who carry us and not the other way around. Then you will say, but branches have been broken off. You might say, well, Jürgen, but don't you see the Jewish people? They don't believe in their Messiah. Paul says, absolutely, that's right. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through your faith. Do not become proud or arrogant, but fear. For God, if he did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God and it, it, it says here in a verse, in, 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 um, uh, in, a, in a few verses uh, further up, that they have been uh, cut off, but if they return in faith, they will be uh, crafted back in again. That means God has a, a wonderful uh, plan for us. But here in verse 20, for, for the Jewish people, verse 21, if the Lord did not spare the natural branches, Neither will he spare you. Uh, know therefore the kindness and severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided that you continue in this kindness. Otherwise, you, do will, you too will be cut off. And even they, now here this it comes, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they will be crafted in, for God has the power to craft them back in again. And God speaks here about this wonderful olive tree and about the root that is supporting us. And I want to make it very clear for us today, when God speaks about the roots of our faith, he does not speak about everything that is taking place here in Israel. It also doesn't speak about the rabbinical Judaism that we see today in Israel. That's just the religion that you see manifested here in the land. But the roots of the, bio, of the, of the word of God that we see here, the, the roots of this nourishing sap of the olive tree, these are the patriarchs, the heroes of faith. These are King David, a man who was a man after God's own heart. These are the prophets who are called calling us constantly to return back to God. These are the roots of the early apostle that shared the gospel around the world and preached the good news of Yeshua to every nation. This is the olive tree, this history of faith, this history of a relationship to the living God, living God. By grace, we have been crafted into that. And because we have been received this incredible privilege, we need to honor the roots. One more thing. 
we had a little um, vegetable garden in our home in Germany where I was growing, where I was growing up. And my father had two or three fruit tree, one cherry tree and two apple trees in our garden. When my father purchased many years ago the house where we were living and where I was growing out, there was one particular tree. Every autumn when the apples became ripe, we couldn't eat the apples. They were sour, they were full of wrinkles. And my father one day said, he says, we need to get Uncle Albert from Stuttgart to come to us. And I was a little boy. I remember that like today. He says, I said, so daddy, what is going, what is Uncle Albert doing? He says, you will see when he comes. So one day Uncle Albert came to our home and he opened the trunk of his car and he brought out a whole bunch of small branches that he brought down from the area of Stuttgart. He was a fruit farmer and he unloaded them in our garden. And then he did something with that tree. I will never forget that. This tree that never produced wonderful fruit, he radically cut it down to the last branch. It was just a stump with a few thicker branches that were left over. And I told my dad, he says, Uncle Albert is destroying our tree. And he said, no, son, wait what he's going to do. And then he took, took those branches that he brought from good trees from his farm, and he crafted them on in, those, in this stem that uh, was in our garden. And we were waiting. I, I was quite skeptical what's going to happen, I must say. But uh, the next year, of course, those uh, those branches, they, they brought forth shoots and they brought forth leaves. The very next year, we saw the first flowers coming forth and we received the most delicious and good apples from, the, from this tree that I felt it's not possible. Now, why do I tell you that? What God is doing here with this olive tree, he is doing what no agriculturist, what no farmer would do with his tree. The Bible says God has a noble, a good olive tree, and he's cutting off the good branches, and he takes wild olive trees, wild branches, and crafts them on, on, the, on the good stem. In nature, this would never work, but that's why Paul says, you have been crafted in against nature and the good olive tree. And what is happening with us, the miracle that is happening, that's why God is right in the midst of that, that something is happening, that God takes those wild branches, those wild Germans that were 2,000 years ago, we were running in the forests, uh, chasing wild boars and worshiping all kinds of crazy gods. But God took those Germans, crafted them into the olive tree of Israel, and a wonderful church emerged. The same he did in the country where you are coming from. And that's why we need to recognize and honor the fruit, because against nature, he took us from the nations, crafted us on the olive tree of Israel, and we received their blessings. So we need to honor our, uh, our roots. Number one, we owe it to them. Number two, we need to honor our roots. And lastly, and not least, we need to honor the Jewish people because they are the family of Yeshua. Jesus was Jewish. By honoring the, the Jewish people, we are honoring his family. And you might say, well, this is not a really important point, but it's important to God.
I remember I spoke about that uh, theme that Jesus was Jewish, that he was born to a Jewish mother in Germany and in, in Bavaria. And I was sharing that in the church. And I never forget how in the evening a brother came to me and says, Jürgen, I heard your message, but it seems he said, you have forgotten something. He says, I fully understand that Jesus, when he was on the earth, he had a Jewish mother. And so he was fully Jewish, at least from his mother's side when he was growing up. But you have forgotten that now he has a resurrection body and he's not anymore Jewish in heaven, but he now is the universal brother of all mankind. And I must honestly tell you, I was quite impressed with that statement of Jesus being the universal brother of all mankind. But um, something didn't go down well with me. I drove home and I prayed about it. And then I was reading the Bible and I came to Revelation chapter 5, right there up in heaven where Yeshua is in his glorified body. John is weeping there because nobody's open, uh, worthy to open that scroll. And the angel of the Lord, one of the elders came to him, puts his hand on the shoulder. Don't weep because overcome has the lion of the tribe of Judah. Even up there in heaven, Jesus is called. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And then on the very last page of our Bible, and uh, this is if you have a red letter edition in your, in your Bible where the words of Jesus are in red letters, this is one of the very last words of Jesus in your Bible. He says, I, Jesus, Revelation 22, verse 16, I, Jesus, I have sent my angel to testify to you about these things to the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Isn't it amazing that on the very last pages of the Bible of this very book, Jesus wants to remind us that he says, don't forget my great, 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 great grandfather is a Jewish king from the city of Jerusalem, never forget that. And that's why in the new Jerusalem, the gates of that city will have the name of the 12 tribes of Israel, because there is such a unique calling upon the Jewish people where God says to Abraham, he says, it's going to be through you, through your people, through the tribes of Israel. Uh, in a way you can say they are the access gates into eternity where, where we can, receive eternal life, uh, that through them God is enabling us from the Gentiles to access these heavenly blessings that God has for us. There's a unique calling on the Jewish people, and that's why we are debtors to them. And I want you to pray today about your own life and ask him, says, Lord, show me how I can show my thankfulness to the Jewish people. How can I say thank you to, in the, to the Jewish people in a meaningful way? Secondly, secondly, remember the Jewish people, they are the roots that carry you. And thirdly and lastly, they are the family of Yeshua. And I think it's very appropriate and very honorable for us as church that we honor the family where Jesus was coming. And with this, I want to give you uh, God's blessing here from Jerusalem, and maybe allow me to pray with you briefly before I hand it back to Barry. 
Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that it is living and sharper than any two-edged sword. And Father, I ask you, even everybody that is not only listening to us today on this Zoom call, but also is joining us on YouTube, on any other channel, I ask you that you make this world alive, that it will pierce the heart of the heroes, and that it will bring forth fruit, 30, 60, even a hundredfold. In the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen. 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 Well, thank you, Jürgen. Um, I actually stopped taking notes so I could pay more attention because I know that some of our team at headquarters are preparing the notes. And uh, when you finish this session next week after part three, we will have available a PDF with all of the topics and the Bible verses and so if you want to receive this PDF of the outline of the study, do send an email to our receptions. That's ICEJ at ICEJ.org. And uh, we will keep your email list together. And once we are done with this here in another week or 10 days, we will send you an email that contains the notes from all three of the sessions. And Jorgen, what you had to say today was just, wow. The, the roots of the church and the way you expounded it is amazing. Share this with your friends. Find the Facebook link, the YouTube link. Share this with your friends so they understand why you love and support Israel. And I trust that today you've learned better why your heart is telling you by the Spirit to love and support the nation of Israel. So, from Jerusalem, we will say Shabbat Shalom, as tomorrow is Shabbat, and we will see you next week for part three of this wonderful webinar. Blessings. God bless you all. I want to personally invite you for our special feast webinar series. The theme of this year's Feast of Tabernacles is the Days of Elijah. I'm inviting you here from the upper room where the Holy Spirit was poured out 2,000 years ago. We expect that the Lord will do something special also at this year's Feast of Tabernacles. Please stay tuned and join our special webinars for the Feast of Tabernacles.